Hi, this is Tundi Valgatkins and this is episode 23 of our Treasure and Pedagogies podcast series from the Centre for Innovation in Education at the University of Liverpool, where we share our light bulb moments, teaching props and pedagogies as we cohabit our Treasure Island, the space for contact time with students. We have three lovely guests today, Dr. Jennifer Johnson, Amy Sampson and Rachel O'Brien. So let's start uh, with quickly introduce yourself, your role and original discipline and how did you arrive here? Thank you. So I'm Dr. Jenny Johnson and I'm Programme Director at the University of Liverpool of the MSc in Healthcare Leadership, co-working with the Head of Postgraduates in the School of Medicine. Um, and my discipline that I work in is in human resource management. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. What about you, Amy? I'm Amy Sampson, I'm based in Cornwall at Fountain University, so we're a, a predominantly arts-based institution um, and I've been working as Head of Digital Learning there for the last kind of five years, but I've been in our digital education team for about the last ten um, and very pleased to be on your island. <laughs> Brilliant. And it's Russia? Hi, so yeah, I'm Rochelle O'Brien. Um, I currently work at Durham University, but I'm based across the country in Liverpool. Um, I'm in Durham Centre for Academic Development, which is a centralised team, which I'm very glad to be part of. I have a fantastic, very playful team. My current role, I'm a senior learning designer, uh, but I also lead part of our PG CAP in academic practice. My disciplines have changed a little bit, so I'm just going to sort of state those because a lot of people are surprised with where I started versus where I am right now. So my undergraduate degree is in dance, performance and teaching. I went wow. into that. Absolutely. I was going to be a teacher. That is definitely what I'm going to do with my life. And then realized that I really am not good with children. Uh, so that kind of foiled the plans. So then I, over a period of time, ended up specializing in digital education. And more recently have kind of shifted that a little bit. And I look at digital education and academic practice as well. So a little bit different, but that's me. And that's lovely. It's always amazing to hear all the difference where people start and, and how you end up in the current job. And I think that versatility is always benefiting the, the practice. Okay, so we are on our treasure island, so slowly making the boats going to row that special place when we have um, this special time with students, whether they are staff or, or, or students. So can you please all share your light bulb moments with our listeners today? So this is the moment when you feel uh, your students were getting it and what made that happen. And um, so if you just share one of those of, of the probably many. Well, I, I certainly, I run something called a Beacon Project. I got funding for that at the University of Liverpool. And this enabled me to spend some time thinking about team skills. And the title was Developing Team Skills to Enhance University Group Work and student employability. And student employability has been a personal interest of mine for many years um, in that we train people academically, but alongside that knowledge, they also need the skills, the expertise, the understanding of self, and also how to work in a team. And so my light bulb moment was on that um, particular project. And we um, participants had come from undergraduate and postgraduate, but the occupational psychologists were at the end of their occupational psychologist degree. Um, and the fact that they were so enamoured and full of ideas and realisations as a result of the interventions that we undertook 
said to me, my goodness me, if, if they are like this, learning about, we use Belbin team roles, um, about Belbin team roles and from doing a half day workshop doing that, what more could people from a totally different discipline, English, medicine, geography, whatever it might be, um, who have, perhaps don't have that understanding of self. So it really was taking it to the ultimate with occupational psychologists, final end of their, their master's degrees. Thank you, Jenny. So um, going back to, to what you were saying, so what, what is it about the Berbin roles that you think helped the students to have this understanding about themselves? Well, it was very much an active learning situation uh, where we brought together the head of Belbin Team, Belbin Team Rolls, Belbin Company, um, Joe Keeler, the managing director, and she had used a lot of visuals moving people around the room. So one of the things is that they, they all get their report in advance when they're allowed to ask four observers in advance, people they know, what they think of them basically, and then they get their interplace um, assessment at the end of that, where they get a report about the self-perception inventory, what they think about themselves, but also what four observers are saying about them. So that's an interesting pre-course um, available pro uh, piece of I suppose, learning that's available to them. And they read that in advance of the, of the actual day itself. And then they come along there for the degree of preparation, but minimal understanding necessarily. And Joe Keeler enabled us to stand around the room in our, on our own individual aspects of the team roles. And there was a real sense of aha moments as they realised, well, that's why I am who I am. Um, and what are you least like moving around the room for, for your, what they call allowable weaknesses. And I think in relation to why I've worked with Belbin team roles for many years, and in fact, I've worked with Meredith Belbin himself, who created it and wrote it, and I still see him, just saw him last year. And we talk a lot around this. So I think I've stayed with Belbin team roles. It's a simple language to use. And I love the idea of allowable weaknesses. And I think all too often um, in academia and, and in the world of work as well, we as individual humans are expected to do too much. And if we were enabled instead to work with our brilliance and then work with other people who who were effectively our allowable weaknesses, so our foils, if you like, how, if we could learn to work together as absolute opposites, how fantastic that would be. Um, and that's something I've, I've learned over time. Personally, I, I did some work a while ago um, for, for Welsh Government and, and we were filmed by the BBC. And for me, that was an absolute perfect situation. Rochelle will smile at this because the tech was totally sorted for me. I could take with them all the information I needed in a, um, to, to set up. I tell them exactly how they want. And it was perfectly done. The tech was there. So I could shine and do my brilliance, what I'm brilliant at, which is the stage and, and being there and being a presence, if you like, because what Goffman talk, talks about, that backstage was absolutely there and fundamentally fundamentally supporting me. And that's what we could, that's the, in, in Belbin terms, it's, it's your monitor evaluators, your completer finishers there to support you in order for you to be this shaper that you were made to be. But all too often, I think we do expect too much of people and certainly students need to understand where they are brilliant and think about roles and jobs that are going to enable them to be brilliant. Thanks, Jenny. That sounds like a really, really useful thing to have for students, that self-understanding and also, as you say, preparing them for the future. Sounds like an idyllic uh, treasure island as well, when everyone can complement each other. Mm. And any other light bulb moments or, or anything that may resonate with you, Amy or Rochelle? I think the um, point there about allowable weaknesses really resonates because I always think, you know, space to fail, especially coming from an arts background where 
a lot is put upon the critique of work and explaining kind of, you know, feedback to peers. And it's sometimes we don't allow ourselves that space to fail because, you know, no one comes into everything 100% perfect, but it's having a dialogue to be able to say, you know, how you might be able to improve. But just that space to actually say, you know what, I didn't get it 100% right. Um, I think it's really, really valuable. So yeah, I resonate with that, Jennifer. I think the other thing that's really good there as well is encouraging people to be different. I think there's a lot of work that's being done around inclusivity at the minute, and it's really important. Um, and I think just that encouragement of, you know, we have differences, let's be brilliant in our differences is is fantastic. And that's something that I see in what you were saying there, Jenny, and something that I'm really passionate about and think is really important. So yeah, that. Mm -hmm. Great. Any other light bulb moments? So I guess but prior to this role, I mean, I've always worked in kind of learning technology and digital learning and I always found with learning technologists, you get very much associated with the VLE. It's like, oh, well, you're the VLE people, you just fix the VLE. And to a certain extent, yes, there's part of that, but we're all kind of practitioners and experts in pedagogy ourselves. And I always thrive when someone gives me a problem. Like if you said you've got real issue with people engaging with this or an activity that doesn't quite work, like that's 100% when learning technologists tend to thrive. And we had, um, we have like a lot of group assessment within our institution. And I think, you know, a lot of universities do, and you tend to have the same kind of feedback coming back about certain group members, maybe not engaging and that being a problem for kind of group dynamics and working together as a group. And I remember kind of when the first set of kind of digital collaboration tools started coming around. So, um, looking at Google in particular and the academics coming to us saying, you know, I've got a real issue with our students working on essays together. I mean, this is a world back now, but, um, so my light bulb moment was just going in there and kind of saying, well, actually, you know, there's some really great collaboration tools that you could be using. And it was just like, to me, just a simple Google doc, but I remember students that we were interested in introducing this to and the staff just had never used it before. Fundamentally for us, it was doing it in the sessions. So having it up on the board, everybody working on a project or something together. And that was great. And then showed that I wasn't just the VLE person and that revolutionized kind of at that point, you know, assignment writing um, involving several individuals, but on the whole now, you know, digital collaboration tools, where would we be without them? And for me, if I was taking anything to your treasure island, it would be the, the invention and the use of digital collaborative tools, because the last couple of years we've, you know, fundamentally relied on tools such as Teams, so we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for Teams. So I think now having a world where you didn't have that collaboration and it, it's just as valuable for those students on campus as it is off campus, um, and universally used, you know, after they leave university as well. I just think I, that is the linchpin is the core of a lot of what we're trying to do as educators is getting students to come together to discuss, to work on things. And yeah, it, it's, I'm excited to see how that develops and how, how it changes. But yeah, I think that for me is a definite light bulb moment. Just having that instant communication with peers across countries is, is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And as you say, it's also um, starting with the educational problem and how you can shift your narrative or what, what your role is in terms of your own practice. But yeah, I, I think I did reflect back to, I think it was SAPED originally when we, before Google bought out this synchronous writing tool, 
but and now it's like um, second nature, isn't it? Everyone is working together in Office 365 documents and um, and so on. Okay, um, Pasha, what about your light bulb moment? So my light bulb moment. Um, now this is possibly a little bit different. <laughs> um, that's kind of standard for me. You'll you'll realize this. So I came to teaching and I realized that I didn't want to teach children, but then I kind of started to think, oh, well, maybe I quite like teaching adults, but it's quite difficult if you aren't on an academic track or if you don't have a PhD um, to get into teaching, certainly in my discipline. Um, so I came in via digital education as a learning technologist and then more recently a learning designer. Um, and essentially a chance was taken on me in Durham where they said, you can teach, go for it. Uh, so this is how I sort of came about leading part of RPG CAP. Um, now, when I started, I had this real idea in my head of what teaching was or what it meant to be an educator. And I'd done lots of study. I was very fortunate that I'd gone and done a master's with the University of Edinburgh. So I had a real great uh, theoretical educational background, great understanding of pedagogy. However, didn't actually know how to teach. And I realized this and it was a little bit shocking to me. And I think my real light bulb moment was when I realized that. And I realized that because other people were challenging the way that I think. And when I say other people, I mean my students. And it suddenly occurred to me that actually, if I wanted to get the best out of the, pe the people that I was interacting with, and if I wanted them to get the best for themselves, I needed to stop going into a room and asking questions. And I needed to start supporting people in figuring out how they could ask questions themselves. So that really shifted my practice and it shifted my approach because I don't go into a class now and start the class and say, well, today, these are all of the things that you're going to learn from me. Because, I mean, I know things about things, but I, I don't really have any expertise in anything. But I think that people bring expertise from their own experiences and I am in a position where I can scaffold that and I can give them the tools to go and do that exploration themselves. So my light bulb moment was when I realized that my own thinking was being challenged by the questions that other people were asking me. So I hope, I hope that is fairly clear <laughs> and okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a great moment of, of, of shift again that you're describing and, um, yeah, I, I was just going to ask Jenny and Amy, if, do, did you have a similar experiences around this? Yeah, I remember recently I was talking in, in class um, very much asking questions about, oh, you know, the, the, what, what, what do you think are some of the key things affecting potential HR and decision making today economically? And one of the students said, oh, definitely cost of living crisis and a, a UK student. And an international student put up his hand and said, how dare you use the word crisis? You don't know the meaning of the word crisis. He's let you tell me about crisis in my country. And he talked about crisis with no government support whatsoever, with absolute destitution, absolute, not relative poverty, but absolute poverty, um, where people without a job cannot afford food. They cannot afford accommodation. They're living on the streets and there is absolutely no governmental support for those people. And he talked for about five minutes. And at that point, then I brought in perma crisis being the word of the year last year. And, and the whole of the, 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 the whole of the room, we could have stopped at that moment. 
I learned more from that student in those moments, and I think many of that class did as well, than we could have talked about economic theory till the cows came home from an HR perspective. So bringing in their knowledge, understanding and learning from others, absolutely with you, Rochelle, on that. Brilliant point. Thank you. Although I resonated with your point about kind of non-traditional routes into academia and having that professional standing, you know, it very much is, you know, you're either ref or you're not ref or you're te- you've got, and a lot of our um, lecturers are practitioners first, you know, they're, they're incredibly experienced dancers or makers and they come into education for a, for a passion for education and, and helping their students, but a lot of them don't have, you know, traditional PhDs or whatever, and they're working towards it. And for me, that's when we had an internal course, we still run it online for our PGCHE and bringing those people together and them all learning from each other. And a lot of the time they, you know, they're hundred percent are amazing educators. They wouldn't be where they are, but they just didn't necessarily have the terms. So they'd explain something, but like, oh, well, that's constructive alignment. You already know it. It's just essentially putting a badge on something that they've been doing innately for years. Um, and that's really powerful because, you know, they're all sharing practice and it's a passion for education that brings them together. And so, yeah, you might not have a doctorate yet, but you're working towards it and your students think you're amazing. So that's that's more important. And that? Okay, so um, we, it's time to, you had lots of light bulb moments and lots of uh, similarities and uh, such richness around team-based learning, learning from each other, creating this diversity in the classroom where you can have allowable weaknesses and and ex- ex- experiment and explore together, ask important questions. So let's um, prepare our little boat to this treasure island a little bit. So what would you, sne- well, not sneak into it, but what would you bring with you? What teaching props or ped- pedagogies um, would you bring to this treasure island to create a really good experience for our students? I would bring my nine chairs. So I've got nine little chairs and I sent a picture of those. Um, And I discovered those a while ago. And for me, they represent nine Belbin team roles. And the nine Belbin team roles gives a chance, as I said before, of understanding who we are and where we are brilliant but also taking it well beyond that as well. How can we can move then into a group setting that we're often asked to do within a university um, situation and then how we can become a team. And all too often when we're faced with difference and opposite, um, and this is in relation to our behaviours, so Belbin team roles looks to our behaviours, um, we find it very difficult indeed. And when we are particularly weak at something in terms of our allowable weaknesses, we find it all even more difficult to work with those kinds of people unless we have the knowledge and the expertise, which then enable us to appreciate and really value those people. And so I, I see it move, I see it moving on a journey on our boat and on our island into discovering where we are all brilliant and where we are able to contribute because we'd need to be a team on the island, wouldn't we? We'd need to be able to work together and live together and we wouldn't have as many people um, as normal to rely upon. And so where we had like a deficit of roles effectively would be helpful knowing and also where, as I keep saying, we are absolutely brilliant and where we shine. So it's our shining um, characteristics, our shining team roles and then our our allowable weaknesses. And so my nine little chairs represent that. And in my picture, I put them in a circle 
because I, I, I worked with lots of different thinking where they could all be and, I, and there was no one that was better than the other and it can't that we can't have one that's better than the other. And that's the beauty about team roles is that every single person within that team is of equal value, they're of equal importance and every single one of those team roles is equally important too. And yet all too often in a work sense and indeed in a student sense, some types of individual are more likely to gain the upper hand and other types of individual more likely to be pushed aside. That's the opposite when we work together collectively and cohesively as working teams. Um, because a, a shaper within, with knowledge of other will know how to step back and how to allow that complete finisher to do their job or how to allow the, the team worker to bring the bonding, to bring the team together. And much as they may be very good at dynamic and thriving on pressure and overcoming obstacles as shapers, they still need to have those complete finishes alongside them to help with that painstaking, conscientious polishing and perfecting. So that relationship between people, I think, is encapsulated in my nine little chairs. Lovely. So we've got this lovely colourful chair, probably around, let's put them around our fire on the island. So what else would we have? It's very practical having chairs as well on the island, <laughs> just to make sure you fall in trees or anything. Um, well, I was going to bring a camera with me on, on the island. Um, again, mentioned we're kind of very arts-based, but a lot of our students kind of use cameras and image to document work in various stages. We do a lot of reflective practice as part of our curriculum um, and quite often where students are using kind of journaling to document their process you know, picture paints a thousand words and having those cameras, be it on your phone and, you know, a standalone camera to help document or, or see how far you've come and capture things that are important, things that inspire you, um, but also to share with at a later date. So hopefully if we ever left our island, we could show our loved ones what it was like and and that picture would, would do a lot words can't and you know, a lot of our activities, especially in the initial stages of some of our online courses, is our students showing where they are, what where they're studying, what their studio space looks like. And, you know, a studio space might just be a, a tiny corner of a desk for one person, or it might be a massive, you know, loft like in the house thing with lots of paint and stuff everywhere. But, you know, it conveys a lot an image and that would be definitely be my luxury item to take with us. Yeah, so that's a that's a brilliant one. And Amy, as you were talking, it just made me also flashback, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, how a camera wasn't really as available to everybody. And, and now you can really ask students to, most of them will have access to, to, to that kind of technology. And it's so much easier to share these images as well. So that it just, because you were talking about technologies, it just made me realize how how technology has advanced in that sense as well. Rasha, what teaching proper pedagogy would you bring to the island? So I'm going to be a little bit naughty here. Um, I'm going to bring, <laughs> I'm going to bring a box and my box is going to have surprises in it. So I've recently started a PhD and the thing that I'm looking at in my PhD is surprise and its use in teaching and learning. So within my box, you would find things like a couple of pieces of Lego there would be a sparkler, there would be a kinder egg, um, there would be some magic. You're not going to know what that is because it's magic. Um, there would be a pinata because why not? Um, we'd have a couple of 
novels with twist endings. Um, and there'd also be the new TV show on Netflix, Kaleidoscope, because that has a choose-your-own-adventure type feel. And I kind of like that kind of thing. And it's about heists. And, you know, that's a bit exciting. Um, so the reason that I'm bringing this box of random bits and bobs, as I'm going to call my box of surprises, is because I'm very much of the belief and I very much enjoy taking items that aren't necessarily designed to be used in a certain way and changing how they're used. Um, a good example of that is using tools like Microsoft OneNote uh, to create escape rooms, which kind of ties into what Amy was saying about collaboration tools. So I very much enjoy just picking at the edges of things and seeing what their capabilities are in different contexts. So I'm thinking around this island, I might find things that I can make surprising and then I can create some unexpected opportunities for people to engage with and experience. And some people might find that really good and some people might find that terrifying. So there will always be an opt-out. So there you go. That's, that's what's in my box. That is amazing. A cabinet of curiosities or a box of surprise. That that sounds great, Rashad. I'm going to challenge Amy and Jenny here. What what else would you put? Would you want to just put a random item into Rashad's box as well? Oh, an animal. Just to throw it out there. Just because they're unpredictable. Like a rabbit in a hat. Yeah, something like that. Just like an animal, just because it might start eating some of your things or, you know, change it into even more unusual things. But yeah, hopefully not the Kinder Egg, because I kind of want to eat that. <laughs> I, I'm I'm always practical. So I'd be always, what, what do we need on the island that we could also make random? So I'd be looking at a fishing rod, I think, or something like that. So we could actually eat when we were there and survive. <laughs> <laughs> Good, but I think, yeah, that that's always, Rochelle, I guess what you're also talking about is is that how um, by making these connections to random things, you can sometimes bring out some new insights in, in whatever you're exploring. So yeah, it will be lovely to hear about your research uh, when you get nearer that. Yeah, okay, so we have um, the chairs, the camera, uh, we've got a box, which is, sounds all exciting. Is there anything else? Uh, we've got uh, fishing rods and what was it, Amy? The last bit that an animal. An animal. Yeah. I mean, the... we'll go with the rabbit <laughs> in the hat. And hope they wanted the chocolate. Okay. Is there anything else that you uh, could imagine adding into this mix, perhaps, um, to create a good experience for students? So. Or, or any ways that you could use Jenny's chairs or Rochelle's box? See, I think I'd quite like to make Jenny's chairs into a tower so I could stand really high and see if there's any cool things to see on the ground. But then that might not be very practical. So we'll pretend it's really practical and it makes a nice sturdy tower. So you've got a, a nice lookout point. And it would also give you a little bit of solitude as well, just in the air, away from everybody else. So I think that might be quite nice. That says a lot about me, doesn't it? <laughs> We're under, I'm, react, I'm reacting to that. And I'm thinking, Rochelle, we're going to be a team here. It's not the solitary place on there. You can walk up a hill or a mountain and go and see that. No, I see us as having all our nine chairs around and sitting on them and choosing different places to sit and being representative of it and talking about it and having a fire pit in the middle. That's how I see it. A real team, camaraderie, place of togetherness rather than a solitary space. There's nothing surprising about that. 
Oh, well, you don't know the conversations we might have. Don't prompt chairs, please. And the, I guess the chairs could also be facing outwards and you could play musical chairs. If you wanted to, yes. I was going to lead it here. I was waiting for your dance um, training, Rochelle, to emerge at some point. Is there any way that that you sometimes maybe bring your original discipline into our teaching? Um, I think absolutely the creativity side of it. I don't enter rooms and burst into interpretive dance, although people often like to use that as an analogy of a way to change up your assessment because that's like the least likely thing somebody would do which as somebody who actually like has a degree in that it's um it can be a little bit insulting anyway that's a very different conversation um yeah for sure the creativity side and also the i guess looking at things from a different perspective and like amy was saying about documenting and journaling and things like that to understand your own thought processes i think that is really really helpful from like a re reflection perspective that's really hard to say <laughs> okay thank you so finally uh oh amy did, were you gonna add something go on well i was gonna add, yeah like just thinking that i was the thing you'd have things to kinder egg because potentially <laughs> inside that a kinder egg might be almost possible like a boat that that would be our escape or something there could be anything in that kinder egg you never know i like this idea I think there's the Russian doll opportunity here, isn't it? The boxes within boxes and kinder eggs within, or even Lego. You could build your little boat with a Lego. You could, but would it be waterproof? Because there's gaps, isn't there? Maybe we could use the chairs on the Lego. Well, I am sure that with Jenny's team roles, you could figure out someone who has got the boat building expertise within the group. <laughs> okay, so I think we, we talked about um, doing things together as a team. We talked about reflecting where you might need students to have their own space when they can reflect on their own or their experience. And also as educators, you also need time to relax off duty. So now the final part of, of the, um, this discussion is around your, I would just love to hear what luxury items you would bring. So this is purely not for not work reasons. This is when you want to relax off duty in the islands. So what would your items be? I like how you said items today, because I couldn't decide between two. I was like, oh. um, I'd, well, my first item would definitely be a radio. Like I, I feel, you know, music is just so powerful and working in this space, spend a lot of time on screens and, you know, I always kind of totally advocate for audio and, you know, well, it's great you could do that on a video, but what I'll do is an audio recording and. I don't know, it's really transformative music and can take you somewhere totally different, whether it be spoken word music. So that was one. And then my other one, if I'm allowed to, would be a book, or just any book. Um, just because, again, it's a great form of escapism. Probably a big book if we're going to be on the island for a while. Um, that would be my two items. Okay, we can let, let you maybe sneak it in, in there if, if, we are, if you're lucky. <laughs> okay, Jenny? Yeah, I by chance heard Malcolm Walker from Iceland Foods uh, talking about on Desert Island Discs at the weekend, and he was saying he would take a big cooking pot with him. And I was, and so when we, and I was thinking about the the luxury item, I was really considering 
a very practical practical items what i need and I, I need food water shelter and so therefore i take a glamping tent an all-inclusive very high quality high spec glamping tent with everything in it and that would have my cooking pot it would have me my shelter very strong shelter it would have all my bedding in there I'd probably have a bed and i would make sure that absolutely it was a luxury item um but with this idea of teams as well I could also have a few extra beds for the campus at, at times if I wanted to allow them in as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very nice of you, Jenny. <laughs> so we definitely want to be shipwrecked on an island with you because you would have everything sorted. <laughs> definitely practically, very practical. I don't see the point of having a book if I've got no shelter over my head, but that's me. <laughs> okay, what about you, Russell? So because in my spare time from teaching, I still enjoy teaching. I would bring an emotional support animal um, and I'm thinking specifically a dog. So no offense to the cat Louise, I'm sorry. Um, and preferably a breed that is fairly trainable so that I can spend my downtime enjoying playing with a dog and training it. And it can enjoy swimming in the sea and digging in the sand. Cause that is definitely what dogs like to do. Um, especially my dogs. So yeah, I, I would bring an emotional support animal who would be friends with the rabbit in the surprise box. <laughs> Very <laughs> <you>, what <laughs> We can dog food. No. <laughs> no, definitely not. No. And it could potentially pull the boat if it likes swimming and swimming a lot. I'm thinking about huskies here. I don't know whether dogs actually could do that. We can find out. Oh, they definitely can. We we used to have this life saving dog that was very well known. I'm here, but it was just, I think it's like Great Bernard or something, but yeah, he used to kind of pull people through the water. So I think that'll be fine. There we go. Very practical as well, clearly. <laughs> That's amazing. Our escapes are already sorted. <laughs> and, and also, most importantly, the relaxing time, I think. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so thank you so much for, for the discussion. I uh, really enjoyed it. So it's time to sail away from our island thank you for our guests for listening and if you enjoyed the podcast please subscribe on our platform and if you're interested to join as a guest you can find it on our live uni uh, cie podcast website where you can also access our blogs and previous podcasts so goodbye for now and finally a big thank you to our three guests today bye goodbye thank you very much